Bethlehem. I want to take as my text this morning the words of 2 Kings chapter 5 and the verse 13. 2 Kings chapter 5 and the verse 13 reads for us, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Before you today in the word of God is an episode in the life of a man by the name of Naaman. This chapter, this portion that we read together a few moments ago, it provides us with some information about this man. You see some information about his identity. You discover from chapter 5 and the verse 1 that he was a Syrian. You see that he was a man of great standing in that land. He was well thought of. He was well liked. He was a man of high rank. He was the commander in chief of the Syrian army. He was a man who was the favorite of the king. And looking at that verse, you would say that on the outward appearance, all looks well, all looks good. He's a prominent man. He's an important man. But then you also see not only his identity, but you'll note his illness. You see, verse 1, the end of that verse, it really gives a contrast to all those great things. It says there, the last few words, but he was a leper. This man, Naaman, he was suffering from a dreadful disease. It stands in great contrast to all that he had obtained in life. For he was a man who had almost all he could ever have wanted. But now he was suffering from a dreadful ailment that threatened to bring his life to an end. Maybe you can picture his desperation in your mind as he would have tried anything and everything to find a cure. Maybe you can picture him running to the doctors and the physicians and to the important people in the land of Syria, begging them, asking, is there anything you can do? But yet in Bible times, there was no medical solution for the disease of leprosy. Leprosy in the scriptures, it pictures sin in many ways. The leprosy may start as nothing more than a little mark or a little spot in the skin. But over time it will develop and then it begins to destroy. It wreaks devastation on the infected individual. Likewise with sin, it may commence as something small, but then it gradually corrupts and waxes worse and worse and worse. And unless it is dealt with, unless the sinner comes to Christ for salvation... It will result in complete ruin for the individual. It will destroy them and condemn them to a lost eternity in hell. Naaman had an illness, but then he was given instructions. You see, firstly, in verse 3, uh, there is that little maid who had been taken captive from the land of Israel. She'd been kidnapped from her home place. And she had instructed Naaman to go and to visit the prophet. Then you have the king of Syria who also commanded him to go. The king of Syria gave him instructions. He gave him his orders. Go find this man. Go to Israel. Then eventually as we read through the passage. Naaman arrived at the door of the prophet's house. He came to the door of the prophet Elisha's house. And as he stood there in all his finery. And with his men and with his chariot. Elisha's servant came out with a message. And that message is recorded for you in verse 10. He was told, go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. 
Naaman received a direct instruction as to how his leprosy could be cured, how he could be delivered from that dreadful ailment. He had a need, and now he had been told how the matter could be resolved. But yet Naaman, he chose not to listen to the prophet's message. Rather, the Bible tells us that he went away. He left. He departed. But however, that was not the conclusion of the matter. Naaman had brought a number of servants with him. And the exact number, the identity of them is not disclosed for us. But yet the Lord was pleased to use them to speak a word in season to this man. These servants, they could be pictured as evangelists. And by that I do not mean only those who stand in a pulpit or stand in the open air or stand somewhere else and preach the word of God to some form of a congregation. But I also include those who are engaged in what we would call personal evangelism. If you are saved and you love the Lord, you should be engaged in personal evangelism. You should be engaged in that work of seeking to bring others to the Savior, whether it be through your just speaking to them or handing out a gospel tract or various actions such as that. There are friends, there are family members, there are colleagues, there are neighbors, and they all need the Savior. There are mission fields on your doorstep. These servants, they sought to influence Naaman to obey. They sought to influence him, to advise him, to counsel him, to heed the word of God. This morning from our text, I want to consider with you some lessons from the Syrian servants and their effective evangelism. The first thing that I want us to see in our text is that there are hallmarks of sincere pleading. As Naaman sought to go his way, as he sought to return to Syria, to return home, his servants, they earnestly pled with their master not to go away, but rather to obey the prophet. And you see there that their compassion was revealed. They displayed their love and their care for their master. Their primary concern, their primary desire was for the well-being and for the good of their master. They did not place their own well-being first. By coming and openly disagreeing and seeking to correct as ever, these servants, they were really putting their necks on the line. Naaman could have punished them for daring to disagree with him. These servants, due to their love and compassion for him, they were happy to take that risk and they sought to point him in the right direction. Their love for him was revealed. Oh, that we would have a love for the sinner like these servants. Although we would have that desire, that we would have that longing to see those around us, whether they be friends, whether they be family, whether they be neighbours, whether they be work colleagues, those we are acquainted with. Oh, that we would have that same burning compassion and desire and love that they would come to know the Saviour. We've seen their compassion was revealed, but then notice also their attitude was respectful. Naaman was referred to by the servants as my father. They called him my father. It showed honor. It was a term of respect. It was a term of reverence in addressing their master. They didn't come with a condescending attitude. They didn't come with insulting him or belittling him or saying, you know, you're, you're, you're an idiot, Naaman, for not listening to the prophet. No, they came respectfully. They came reverently. And it is the same spirit of that little maid in verse 3 where she referred to Naaman as my Lord. She showed respect. In our dealings with the unconverted and also with each other, there ought to be that respectful attitude. 
That is not to say that you should not and cannot oppose false doctrines and call out sin. Though though false doctrine must be opposed, sin must be called out for what it is. But the the Bible is clear. The people of God are to contend earnestly for the faith. They are to be firm on those matters. But we ought to be dignified. We ought to be gentle in our pleading and our persuasion of others. Rudeness will not help the cause of Christ in evangelism and rudeness will not assist the persuasion of souls to be saved. Their attitude was respectful. Their compassion was revealed. But then you'll see as well their testimony was reliable. The words that these servants spoke, they were true words. They were words that were accurate. They were words that were honest. They were not exaggerating. They were not lying to Naaman. But rather they spoke truth. And they accurately presented the prophet's message again. That message just summarized in our text. As wash and be clean. In your evangelism. And indeed in every aspect of spreading the gospel. Whether it be in a preaching ministry. Or an individual witnessing just to another person on the street. We must endeavor to always be honest about what the the scriptures have to say. May our testimony about the scriptures, our testimony about the Savior always be reliable. May it always be founded upon the word of God, for it is our authority. Then I want to see especially the urgency was recognized. Because you see, these men, as they were pleading with Naaman, as they were engaged in that sincere pleading, they knew it was an important matter. They knew it was urgent because Naaman was a man who was under a death sentence. He only had a limited time. His servants knew that he had no other hope. They knew that if Naaman went back to the land of Syria, if he went back to his homestead, that that would be to condemn himself to death. They recognized that it was a matter of life or death for Naaman. It was not something that could be left for a little while. It wasn't something that could be addressed sometime in the future. For Naaman, really, it came down to it. It was now or never. It needed dealt with urgently. Friends, this morning it's imperative that we grasp and recognize the reality of the situation that is before us. There are men and women, they're walking all around us, they're going, they're they're mingling with us as we go about our our duties and our various uh, things we do in society. They're, They're walking down the various paths of life that we walk down, but they have never repented of their sin. They have never trusted in Christ. And like Naaman, they only have a limited time to resolve their situation. They only have a limited opportunity to receive that necessary cleansing from sin. And every day, that leprosy, it brought Naaman closer to the day of his death. It brought Naaman closer to that day when he would be condemned forever. And every day brings a sinner closer to that day when they will not only experience physical death, but also eternal death. This morning, do you recognize the urgency? Do you recognize the need, the importance of pleading with souls that are lost? But let me also say to you who are outside of Christ this morning, that this matter of salvation is a pressing and an urgent concern for you. There is nothing that is more important in your life than getting right with the Lord. Yes, employment is good. It is good to have a settled employment that you're happy in with a good wage. Education is good. It's good to have uh, that knowledge of things and to be well educated. It is nice to have a nice home and a happy family. They're all good things in and of themselves, but yet none of those things are more important than getting right with God and receiving his salvation. Just as the most important matter for Naaman 
was obeying that message of deliverance and receiving that healing. The most important matter for you this morning, if you're outside of Christ, is obeying the call of the gospel and coming to him for salvation. You've seen the hallmarks of their sincere pleading. Then I want you to see secondly in our text that there is the highlighting of sinful pride. The text that tells us, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? The servants in those words, they exposed, they highlighted the sinful pride of Naaman. They knew their master well, and they knew that if Elisha had told him to engage in some great and difficult task, some great challenge that would be difficult to accomplish, he would have joyfully complied. But yet, when asked to do something easy, the pride of this man appeared. It emerged, and the scriptures have much to say about the subject of pride in Proverbs chapter 16. And the verse 18, the word of God tells us, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Naaman's pride is displayed for you by his opinion. Verse 11, you read those words. It says, But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought. He had his own ideas on how he would be delivered from his illness. He had his own ideas as to how he would be healed. And he leaned on his own understanding on what a dangerous approach it was. As we consider his opinion of his deliverance, you'll note the plan. Verse 11, he it says there, he will, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord as God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Naaman thought that Elisha would just come out and that he would just say the word, that he would just wave his hands and that would be the conclusion of the matter. He'd be healed and that would be it. That's what he expected. That's what he thought he deserved as an important man in society. He expected an impressive show from the prophet of the Lord. But yet the prophet sent instead his messenger with a simple command. It dented Naaman's pride as it went against all that he had anticipated. It went against all that he had expected. And it reminds us of the words of Isaiah 55 and the verse 8. Isaiah 55 and the verse 8. It reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. You know, there are often things that happen in everyday life. And they're not what would be expected. Situations occur, problems arise, but the Lord's hand is on it all and we ought to trust, we ought to leave the planning to him. But this morning I want to apply this especially to those of you who are outside of Christ. Naaman had his plan, he had his great ideas as to how he would be healed. He had his great ideas regarding his deliverance. He had an expectation as to how it would all play out. But what about you? Do you have such a plan for your salvation? Maybe you have the whole matter planned out. You have decided that you will be saved in your timing. You have decided that you will be saved in your terms and in your way. You will be saved by trusting in whatever you feel is right. Though this morning I warn you not to fall into that trap. 
Do not fall into that trap that we have from Naaman. We have a warning from Naaman about that particular trap. How horrific it would be at the end of your life when you go and you stand before that judgment throne. You've received that eternal sentence of death and you say these words of Naaman. Behold, I thought. Say, behold, I thought my way was better than God's way. You know, the thoughts and the plans of men have taken many souls to a lost eternity in hell. But this morning, will you join them? Will you follow them to their abode of torment? Or will you submit to God's plan? And will you trust in Christ and repent of your sin? Oh, pay heed to the warning of Proverbs 14 and the verse 12. Proverbs 14, verse 12, it tells us there, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, if Naaman had followed that way that seemed right to him, it would have resulted in his death. It would have resulted in him losing his life. No, this morning, sinner, I pray that you will not follow your own ways, but rather that you will heed the word of God and that you will, you will come and you will submit to God's way and repent of your sin. We've seen the plan, but then there also was the price. Because he, had, he thought, again, he had this opinion. He thought that he could purchase healing from his leprosy. Verse 5 tells us how he brought the silver and the gold and the raiment. He wanted to could contribute or pay something towards that healing. And if there had been a great price to pray, Naaman would have paid it. If there had been a great sacrifice to make, he would have offered it. If there was a great service to perform, he would have executed it. And the same applies to salvation. Maybe you feel you have to pay something for it. Maybe you feel you have to contribute something. Maybe you have to engage in good works to try and earn that salvation. But the Bible is so clear because the salvation has been offered free to you in the gospel. Christ has already paid the price. He has paid that great debt with his own precious blood. And this morning you have nothing to pay. This morning will you receive it for yourself? And also note the place. Again, from verse 12, you see that Naaman, in his opinion, he had his own ideas. He had his own ideas with regards to the place. He says, there are not Abana and Farpa, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. He didn't want to go to the river Jordan. He didn't want to follow the command of the prophet to go and to bathe and wash in that particular river. Rather, he wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to go to his own rivers. That river Jordan was considered to be a dirty river. It was thought to be unpleasant, whereas those rivers in Damascus were cleaner and nicer in his opinion. And again, he thought he had a better way of healing. He had a better way of salvation than God's way. You know, it describes so many today who do not look to Christ. They do not look to his work on the cross at Calvary for salvation. Rather, they look to the wrong places. They look to their works. They look to their family upbringing. They look to their charitable giving and their church attendance. And whilst there may be good aspects of those things, they contribute nothing to salvation. Naaman had his opinions. And the prophet in bringing the word of God to him cut right across them. It is often the case when the Lord speaks that he cuts right across your own opinions, right across your thoughts, your notions, your desires, your ideas. But this morning, will you accept the word of God when it does? Or will you place your opinions above it? Will you let that sinful pride have the preeminence and dictate your life? 
And there you'll see that these opinions that Naaman had, they led to his outrage. Because again, if you look at verses 11 and then verse 12, you'll see at the start of verse 11, it says, but Naaman was wroth. That word wroth, it speaks of bursting out in rage, being greatly angered. And then in verse 12, the end of the verse, it says, so he turned and went away in a rage. That word rage, it gives us the idea of heated indignation. Perhaps you have maybe been in a position where someone has lost their temper. The situation has become heated and they are so angry that they're ranting about something to someone. They're giving them a piece of their mind and they're not considering, they're not thinking about what they're saying because they're so consumed by their anger. That is the idea that's given here with this man, Naaman. He was filled with an anger that flowed from his sinful pride. The pride showed that he placed his dignity above the danger of his disease. It was a pride that would have had disastrous consequences if it had been left unchecked. If Naaman refused to humble himself and to repent of his sinful pride, he would have returned to Syria and he would have died there. But a servant spoke that word in season to him. They pointed the matter out. They exposed the sin. They highlighted the problem of his pride in that gentle, that kind, and that curing manner. This morning, do you display such sinful pride? Is your pride the very thing that's holding you back from salvation? Perhaps it causes you to be angry when you're told that you're a sinner and that you need to repent of your sin. You need not to trust in yourself or in your works, but you need to trust in Christ. Maybe that makes you angry. Maybe your pride is telling you that you can't get saved as your friends or your work colleagues, those who you spend most of the week with, they may laugh at you, they may make scorn of you, they may make fun of you, they may mock you. But tell me this morning, is it really worth rejecting Christ simply because of your pride? and Losing your soul for all eternity? The Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 8 and the verse 36, he stated those very solemn words. For what shall it profit a man? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Naaman was a man who had all that he could ever have wanted. He had profited greatly. But yet, because of his sinful pride, he almost lost his soul. I want to come thirdly and finally this morning, and very quickly for our time is all but gone, to see that there is also the heralding of salvation's pathway in our text. You'll see its simplicity because at the conclusion of the text, verse 13 of 2 Kings chapter 5, you have those words, four simple words, and those words they say, wash and be clean. Wash and be clean. There's the way of salvation in a nutshell. It is the great yet simple truth of the gospel of Christ. Salvation, it involves that washing from sin. There's many references we could go to 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 illustrate that, uh, one reference we'll mention is Psalm 51. That psalm of confession and repentance by David after he had sinned with Bathsheba. There in Psalm 51 and verse 2 and then verse 7. Verse 2 tells us, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. 
and I shall be whiter than snow. It begs the question, well, what is sin to be washed in? The Bible teaches us that sin is to be washed in the precious blood of the Savior, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on that cross at Calvary to purchase salvation for you and for me. As Naaman washed in that river Jordan, as he went down to that river and he went down the seven times and came back up, it pictures the sinner being washed in the blood of Christ. How can you be washed in the blood of Christ this morning? The Savior summed it up in Mark chapter 1 in the verse 15, where he stated there, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Again, it's a simple command. We've seen there in our text, it tells us, wash and be clean. The Lord Jesus says, repent ye and believe the gospel. He's telling you to repent and to believe. He's telling you to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. He's telling you to call upon him to save you. Lay hold on him for eternal life. Will you do so this morning? Notice also the singularity of salvation's pathway. Because you see, for Naaman, there was no other way of deliverance. There was nothing that could be done for him in that leprous condition. There was no way that he could be cured unless he washed in the River Jordan. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that tremendous preacher who we referred to in the children's address, in his little book, Advice for Seekers, he stated that the waters of Abana and Farper are preferred by proud human nature, but the waters of Jordan alone can take away the leprosy. You know those pleasant waters of the world? They may seem attractive to you, they may seem like enjoyable to you. You think, well, we'll have a good time there. But they can never take away your sin. They can never wash your sins away. They can never grant you eternal life. They can never spur you from sin's condemnation. You can never be saved through the world or the works of man. Rather, the only way you can be saved is through Christ alone. John chapter 14 and the verse 6 tells us, the Lord Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Reminds us of that lovely children's chorus that I'm sure many of you perhaps learned at a younger age. And it goes one way, God said, to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way. Those words are true. Tonight, this morning, I tell you that Christ the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way by which you can be saved today. And after the pleading of Naaman's servants, that great man, that important man in Syrian society, he turned, he humbled himself, and he obeyed the command of the Lord. And the Bible tells us there in the verse 14, Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He received that cleansing from his leprosy. The problem was dealt with. This morning, if you turn to Christ, you too will experience that cleansing from sin. But as this meeting concludes, will you turn? Will you humble yourself? Will you heed the call of the gospel? If you heed that call... You can leave this house not as a child of sin, but rather as a child of God, one who has been saved by the grace of God. That is our desire this morning. It's our desire that you would trust in Christ 
and that you would receive him as your Savior. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning.